Amen. Amen. Returning this evening to Colossians chapter 1 once again. Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to read the Word of God from verse 25. And here the Scriptures say, the Apostle Paul speaking, Whereof I am made a minister according to this dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the Word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. For unto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious word this evening. Let us seek the Lord in prayer, and let us ask for his blessing as we come to consider his word together. Let us pray the Lord would apply his word, uh, not only uh, to you, uh, but uh, to those around, and that the Lord would teach us, the Lord would instruct us, the Lord would convict us of sin through his word this evening. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee tonight for thy precious word. We do pray that as we turn to these words now, that we would see something of the great message being conveyed here, not merely by the apostle, but by thyself. Father, we pray that as we consider something that many in society reject, that many churches have set aside for the prioritizing of other things, we pray, O oh God, that that would give us that fresh glimpse of the importance of this subject, the importance of Christ and His gospel. And Father, we pray that Thou would speak to every heart. We pray, O oh God, Thy Spirit would drive home the message, the teaching that we have here, that our hearts would be touched and refreshed and challenged, convicted, redeemed, as we consider thy truth this evening. Father, give us help. Give us grace. Grace to preach. Grace to listen. May thy name be glorified, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. <coughs> Amen. As we commence the preaching of the Word of God this evening, I wonder what answer you would give to this particular question. What is preaching? What is preaching? On the surface, this question may seem very easy and simple to answer, but yet the understanding of Christians can be widely varied on what we actually believe preaching to be. There are those who think that preaching is some sort of an encouraging talk to give us a little confidence boost in the week that lies ahead, or preaching is a form of entertainment, and therefore we must leave feeling good about ourselves. Some, and I've heard this kind of preaching before, I've heard mature believers commend this kind of preaching. Some preaching, therefore, is a collection of stories and quotations with very little doctrine, very little theology, very little depth to what is being said. What is preaching? Well, preaching can be many things, but what does God tell us that preaching is? When we look at the Word of God, what is the template that we have there for the ministry of the gospel of Christ? And when we look at preaching, we see, especially in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that we've considered together, and in the epistles of Paul the Apostle, we see great truths here regarding preaching that leads us to understand that 
We ought to have a high esteem of the preaching of the Word of God, whether that is as a pastor, whether that is as a preacher, whether that is as believers, whether that is even if you're outside of Christ. There ought to be a high esteem of preaching because of what preaching actually is. It is the declaring of God's truth, the simple, clear, relevant declaration of the truth of God to needy souls, to needy hearts. The late Reverend Wesley Green was a free Presbyterian missionary to Nepal under the Ulster Presbytery. And he wrote these words in our church magazine in Ulster some years ago. And I'd actually Googled the primacy of preaching, and this came up. I forgot all about this article. And, well, one of the good things about Google, it... uh, It had a record or found a record or did something good for once. Uh, But he says in in that article, what is a dinosaur? One definition is that it is a large reptile that once lived on the earth but is now extinct. But he says in our generation, it seems that term could be used to describe the preaching of God's Word. It is like the extinct dinosaur. Many churches, even those taking the name evangelical, have practically dispensed, he has said, with this vital part of the ministry. Preaching has become the dinosaur in such places of worship, at best relegated to a tie-gone to the regular meetings, or at worst abandoned altogether. He asks the question, what place then should the preaching of God's Word have in our church gatherings? Should it be replaced with singing and music? In a day when many people have so many problems, would it not be better to have counseling sessions after counseling sessions and not preaching? Of course, singing should have a role. There's a place for helping individuals. That's what he said. But preaching must have the primary place in the worship of God. Why? Because that's the example we find in the Word of God. Paul said in Corinthians 1 verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. This world will laugh at preaching. This world will mock preaching. This world sees it as foolishness. I've stood on many a street uh, with young people from Northern Ireland doing outreach. I've stood on streets myself uh, with a man from the church that Uh, I was helping out in at that particular time on numerous occasions. And we stand on the street, we open our mouths, and we preach. I'm not sure if that's done much here in Canada. In the United Kingdom, certainly, uh, up to some years ago, you could still do that. Uh, Many people, many preachers have been getting into trouble for doing that. Uh, But uh, that's uh, what uh, we were able to do, certainly some years ago. And the reaction of those people as they walk past, doing their Saturday shopping, whatever it might be, they're shocked. They wonder what's going on. They think it's silly. They think it's stupid. They think it is, as the Word of God says here, foolishness. Foolishness. But yet, is that not what the apostles did, standing and preaching the Word of God? Is that not how the great evangelists of old stood and preached the Word of God? Not necessarily in the safety of a pulpit or in a congregation, but yet standing there in the middle of society, preaching the Word of God. To those that perish, it's foolishness. But Paul says, to us which are saved, to us who believe, to us who are the people of God, redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, preaching is the power of God. It's God's way. It is God's method. We see God's great plan, great purpose in the preaching of the Word. Paul said to Timothy, preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and doctrine. And Scripture is clear that the the preaching is God's means to proclaim Scripture. Samuel Miller, an old American preacher, said that the preaching of the gospel was for nearly 18 centuries the standing means both of maintaining and extending the knowledge of Christ and His salvation in the world. Of course, he's speaking a few centuries ago. That's why he only said 18 centuries And it still is 
the means of maintaining and extending the knowledge of Christ and his salvation in the world. He says that preaching is nothing less than to publish, explain, and recommend the religion of Christ, to proclaim its glad tidings, to extend its holy reign, to turn men from darkness to light, from Satan to God. Preaching, therefore, we can say, is the clear and relevant declaration of God, of His truth to needy hearts. And so as we turn to Colossians chapter 1 this evening, we see something here of preaching. I want to take as the title of this evening, Understanding Preaching. Understanding Preaching. And of course, if we were to understand preaching fully, well, it would take a long, long time and many, many sermons, and we might not even be close. Uh, but understanding preaching or understanding something about preaching, uh, we find here in Colossians chapter 1. And firstly, I want you to see that preaching is a divinely ordained work. Preaching is a divinely ordained work. We see that in verse 25, down to verse 27, Paul says, Whereof I am made a minister. Did he make himself a minister? No, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And moving down to verse 27, he says, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, whom we preach. And Paul, in the preceding verses to our text, has defended the person and work of Christ, and he has refuted false teachers who denied the deity of Christ. And of course, Christ's power to save and to deliver men was also challenged by these individuals. In verse 20, the apostle speaks of Christ and says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. In other words, Paul is saying here, Christ through the cross, through the shedding of his blood has brought us nigh to God. He has saved us. He's redeemed us. He has given us his glorious gospel. And then moving down to verse 25, Paul is now saying that he has made a minister God has ordained him a minister to preach that very gospel to the Gentiles, to preach the truth of God. And that term minister forms Paul's thoughts for these next number of verses because he deals with what his ministry is. I am made a minister, and then he describes to us what that ministry involves. And Paul, in his letters, would often speak of himself being an apostle, or a minister of Jesus Christ. In Romans 1 verse 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. There's a work that has been done here. He's a servant of Christ. And in a sense, every believer is a servant of Christ. But Paul was called to be an apostle. An office that we saw this morning in the Bible class has now ceased he was called to be an apostle, to be a preacher, to be the missionary, the apostle to the Gentiles. And he's also separated unto the gospel of God. There's a separation in view here, a sanctification, a setting aside of Paul for Christ's gospel. He was once a Jew, a very devout Jew, but now he was one who was separated unto God and unto the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ called to be an apostle. Here in Colossians, he says he is made a minister according to the dispensation of God. Preaching is a divinely ordained work that is carried out by those that God has called. And Paul says that here. He was called to this. This was not his own idea. This was not a career path that he wanted to do. If there's a career path that you want to do, I would recommend against that. I could say many things. Unless you're truly called to the ministry, I think it would be something that you would want to quit once you got into it. I could tell you account after account of things that would make you want to quit if you didn't believe God had called you. And that's only in Bible college with exams. It could go much further. But when we think of Paul and the difficulties he faced, which probably 
makes exams in Bible college pale into insignificance. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He suffered persecution. He was thrown into prison. It's believed he eventually lost his life because of Christ and his gospel. But yet, he kept on preaching. He kept on serving. He kept going forward with a great zeal and a determination and a consistency, all for Christ, something that we can learn of as believers. Paul's great zeal for Christ, his consistency, his perseverance in difficult circumstances. Why? Because he believed Christ had called him to do this work, and this work was ordained by God. And we see that in the verses we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And Paul sets it out very clearly that preaching Christ and Christ crucified is the message of God in verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God. This is the will of God in view by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Men see it as foolish, but it's God's means. God's purpose. Dear believer, this is something that we need to understand. We can take preaching for granted, but yet it's something wonderful. It's something special. It's something unique. It's something that God has ordained for our spiritual good. For our spiritual good. In Ephesians 4, we see that the Lord gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And again, the apostle Paul is making a particular point. There were gifts given to men in the church, pastors and teachers, for an example, for the work of the ministry, for building up the people of God, for building them up in their faith, for teaching them the Word of God. Because it is a work that is a divine work. A divine work. Dear believer, do you thank God that you can gather in his name to worship him? Do you thank God for the gift of preaching that he has bestowed upon his church worldwide? Do you realize uh, that we have a freedom, certainly a present, to go up to the house of the Lord, to hear the preaching of the word, to hear uh, God's message? What a privilege it is. And Paul here is saying, it's because of God. In Corinthians, in Ephesians, here in Colossians, he is saying it is all of God. God has ordained him to this work, and God has ordained this work. There's a word here for those who are outside of the kingdom of God, those who've never trusted Christ. The preaching of the gospel of Christ, the preaching of the good news of salvation. Is it not a privilege for you? Is it not a privilege for your soul to hear what Christ can do for those who are in their sins, to lift them up out of that miry clay, to set their feet on that solid rock, to redeem you and to save you and to cleanse you from your sin? That is a great message of preaching, the great message of the gospel. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, a passage we've referred to on numerous occasions, we find the prophets going to King Zedekiah, warning him of his sin, warning him of his iniquity, preaching to him. And what was his response to that preaching? And the people's response, the Word of God tells us they mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words. They misused his prophets. Oh, that's no big deal. Is it? The verse goes on to tell us, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. Till there was no remedy. It was too late. They ignored, they mocked, they despised the words of the preacher. And there was no remedy. These men who were preaching the truth, these men who were of God, these men who were warning the king warning the nation of sin out of love in their hearts for them and for their souls, and out of love to God, preaching and warning and preaching and warning. And they were misused. They were despised until God's wrath arose. Dear unbeliever, what a privilege it is to hear the Word of God. Do not mock. Do not despise. 
Listen to the word, listen to the gospel. Listen to the great message by which you can be saved and delivered. Zedekiah didn't listen, his nation didn't listen. Preaching came to his ears and he failed to recognize this has come from God. God has sent this preacher, God has sent this messenger with a great message to repent, like the message of Christ to repent and believe the gospel. What a privilege it is to hear the great word of God through preaching. And Paul was called to preach in Acts chapter 26, the verse 16, he says, but rise. And he's speaking of what Christ said to him, rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness. He speaks of the Gentiles and says to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. What was Paul's purpose? To preach the gospel of good tidings, to preach the truth of God. Verse 28 tells us, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whom we preach. Dear believer, as a church and as Christians, we must hold to what is called the primacy of preaching. The preaching is absolutely vital for the spiritual good of our souls and for the good of the church of Christ. John Knox, the great preacher in Scotland during the Reformation, realized the divine importance of preaching when he said, I have never once feared the devil, but I tremble every time I enter the pulpit. And what did he mean by that? He meant that in his life, because of his faith in God, he never feared the devil. But when he stood in the pulpit, he trembled because he realized this is a divine work of God. This is something God has commanded. This is something that has eternal significance. This is something that is absolutely serious. Not only to me as the preacher, but to those who are listening. And I must take this work seriously. And I must do this work right. In the right attitude. In the fear of God, resting humbly upon him. And he trembled because he had that high esteem of preaching. He had that high reverence of the word of God, the word of Christ. He was admitting humbly the preaching was a divine, solemn, and sincere work. Dear believer, we ought to have the same, the same attitude. And we ought to realize that this is God's means of His Word being taught. We ought then to pray for the preacher. We ought to pray for the preaching. We ought to pray for ourselves. We ought to pray for others that God will bless the preaching of His truth to us. Because we have this divine work, this divine privilege of hearing preaching, we have a duty to hear it. We have a duty to listen to the message of God. We have a duty to prepare our hearts to receive Scripture, to pray, to empty our hearts of evil thoughts and sin, to mortify the flesh as we come to hear the Word of God, to focus our hearts toward the preaching of the Word of God. The Puritan a Puritan preacher once said, the dish not, must not be unclean into which we put these spiritual dainties. If you came round to my house and I decided I would bake you a sandwich and I decided I would put it in a bowl where the cat food had been, but it hadn't been washed. And the traces of the cat food uh, was there in the bowl and it had hardened. And it looked absolutely disgusting. And I made your sandwich and I put it in that bowl what would your reaction be? You might be so hungry you might eat it, but on the other hand, uh, you might say, well, I'm not actually hungry today. You would expect that food, that sandwich that I made, no matter how great that sandwich might be, 
to be placed into a vessel, a dish, a plate that is clean. And the Puritans said, the dish must not be unclean into which we put these spiritual dainties. We come to hear God's word. Let us not come unclean. Let us not come unprepared. Let us seek the Lord that he would bless his word to us. And that works both ways. It is not just the people of God who have to pray regarding the preaching of the Word. The pastor, the preacher must pray as well and study and prepare for the preaching of the Word of God. To not do so is sin, is sin. Whether that is in the pew, whether that is in the pulpit, to not spend time seeking God the way that we ought is sin. It's a serious matter. Dear believer, let us think on these things. Let us prepare our hearts to receive God's Word. Let us prepare our hearts as the preacher to preach God's Word, that He would be central, that He would guide and apply His Word to our, to our hearts. The Puritan said again, before thou goest to hear, labor to affect thine heart with the necessity and excellency and efficacy of the Word. In other words, when you come to hear the Word of God, realize Pray that the Lord would write upon your heart, this is a necessity. The Word of God is necessary for me. It is an excellent Word. It is a Word that is effective for me and for my life. I need it. I need it. It's a Word that must satisfy my thirsty soul, or I shall die for thirst. Dear believer, let us pray for God to call and ordain preachers. Let us pray for God to bless it to us. Let us pray that the Spirit would accompany the preaching of the Word of God, that it would be effectual to us. Let us take the preaching of God's Word seriously. The same can apply to our witnessing. What is speaking to a family member? What is speaking to a colleague? What is speaking to your child or grandchild, the great truths of Scripture? It's but a little sermon in itself. A little declaration of what God has done. A little declaration of what God can do. Pray for the Lord to bless it. Take that seriously. It may be a sentence. It may be two sentences. It may be something to a little child of three or four. But take it seriously. The declaration of God's truth is a serious thing. It's a divinely ordained work. Paul says that here, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God. But notice here, secondly, that preaching has glorious purpose. Preaching has glorious purpose. Verse 27, and moving into verse 28, we'll focus on verse 28. The Word of God says here, whom we preach, he's preaching Christ warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Preaching has a glorious purpose in glorifying God. And there we can move on, but here the writer, the Apostle Paul, tells us some of the purposes behind preaching. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. The purpose of preaching is to glorify God in doing these particular things. Preaching has a glorious purpose. And I want us to really understand and emphasize the crucial significance of that thought. Preaching has a glorious purpose, and therefore the preacher has a glorious purpose in view, and the hearer should have a glorious purpose in view, because God's Word will not return unto him void. The foundation of all preaching is the Scripture of truth, the Word of God. And a vital question arises then that if we preach from the Word of God, which we ought to be doing, our preaching should have a glorious purpose. Why? Because the Word of God has a glorious purpose. And does the Word of God have a glorious purpose? Most definitely it does. It is the inspired Word of God. It is necessary for us. It is sufficient for us. It would be blasphemy to suggest that God's Word has no glorious purpose. And therefore, because the preaching of the Word of God is founded solely upon the Word of God itself, there is this purpose 
this glorious purpose. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you've been attending the adult Bible class, uh, when I've been uh, doing the study in the doctrine of Scripture, you might be reacting, here we go again, back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, because constantly we've been referring to that verse as one of the great proof texts of inspiration. And there's so much in this verse. 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 15, we have salvation in view. That's a great purpose of the Word of God, able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then the apostle says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Here's the purpose of God's Word, God's truth. It is inspired by God and is profitable for these things. They make us wise unto salvation, verse 15. If you never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you're confused as to why you need a Savior, the Scriptures give the answer. They make you wise unto salvation. Because of your sin, your soul is marching to hell. That broad road to our Christless eternity in hell because of sin, and there's nothing you can do about it to change that reality apart from the great message of Scripture, the message of Christ. God's Word makes us wise unto salvation. But the Scriptures, as we see in verse 16, are profitable to us. In the original Greek, that refers to being helpful to us, being a service to us, being advantageous to us. There's a benefit here to us. In doctrine, all of our system of belief, all our system of instruction— being filled with scriptural knowledge, all of that is a glorious purpose. Knowing the truth of God, being filled as we saw this morning, and growing in the knowledge of God is a glorious purpose of the Word of God and of preaching. For reproof, for the conviction of sin, for correction, for that straightening out, that rectifying something that is wrong or something that is an error, of fixing the mistakes, the errors that we have, the sin that we have, to correct that. Again, that is a glorious purpose. Being instructed in righteousness, instructed in the way of God, in the commandments of the Lord, all of this is with the main purpose of being completed, of being perfect, or being finished with all that we need in order to live to the glory of our Creator and our Savior. The Word of God has purpose for us. And as a result, because the preaching of God's truth is built upon God's truth and God's Word, preaching also has a purpose. A purpose. Our declaration of Scripture should have a spiritual purpose. It should have a spiritual aim. Dear believer, when we hear the Word of God, let us seek out that spiritual purpose. Let us seek out that spiritual aim. What is the Lord saying to you? What is the Lord saying to me as we come and consider His Word? Preaching should be relevant to us. Preaching should have application to us. The Westminster Confession of Faith tells us regarding preaching— that it should be applied to the necessities and capacities of the hearers. I'm breaking that down a little bit um, for the sake of time, but applying to the necessities and capacities of the hearers. In other words, there's a relevance here. There's relevant application. There's relevant truth that has a purpose in our lives. Let us pray that whether we hear the Word of God, whether we declare the Word of God, in whatever way that may be, that there will be that relevance, and God will apply it to hearts. This glorious purpose of preaching sets preaching apart as something that is absolutely vital. If we turn back to Colossians chapter 1, we see Paul warns, whom we preach warning every man. There's not a limit here. He's not placing a limit on those in a particular city or, or those in a particular congregation. Every man. 
the scope of preaching is to every man. We're to go into all the world, Christ said, and preach the gospel to only a few people, to all creatures, to every creature, to every man. Not every man will be saved. Not every man will come to that knowledge of Christ. But the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of God's truth, as Paul says here, it's for all. It's for every man. And teaching every man in all wisdom, that gives us something of the great scope of evangelism. How many have not heard the gospel? How many have not heard the warning? It's a challenge for us to take out the Word of God, to reach others, to pray for those, to go out to reach others, to support those in reaching others. Whom we preach, warning every man. It's a glorious universal purpose here of spreading God's truth to all nations. Teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, that souls would be saved, that believers would be sanctified and edified and built up in their faith as we considered this morning, rooted and grounded in love, growing in the knowledge of Christ. That's the great glorious purpose we have here of becoming sanctified, of living like Christ. That is one of the glorious purposes of preaching. Tonight, dear believer, do you understand the absolute necessity of preaching for your family? Do you understand the importance of placing them under sound and faithful preaching? Or are you desirous that your family would have that same understanding of the importance of preaching as you do? Are you promoting that in your family? Are you telling and bringing up your young ones to understand that the Lord's Day is the day that we come to hear the preaching of the Word of God? And this is why God has ordained this. God has set this day apart because He has set preaching apart. He has ordained preaching for our spiritual benefit. Are you praying regarding the glorious purpose in preaching? The Westminster Directory of Public Worship says this, that on the Lord's day, after every one of the family apart and the whole family together have sought the Lord, in whose hands the preparation of men's hearts are, to fit them for public worship and to bless to them the public ordinances, the master of the family ought to take care that all within his charge repair to the public worship or go to the public worship, joining with the congregation. There's a spiritual work. It's not merely the spiritual work of sitting in the pew, and then that spiritual work begins. It's before that. If we truly believe there's a glorious purpose in preaching, as we said earlier, let us prepare our hearts by God's grace to receive His Word. Thirdly, I want you to see, and our, our time is moving rapidly on, but I want you to see, thirdly, the preaching is a spiritually important labor. It is a spiritually important labor. Verse 29 well, verse 28, we see the purpose of preaching. We see that it is a spiritual work. But verse 29, Paul says, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Preaching is spiritually important. This is what Paul is getting at here. It's a spiritual work of the greatest necessity because it is an important work. In Acts 20, verse 32, Paul speaks to the elders of Ephesus, and he says to them, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Why? Which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. He's speaking to the elders and encouraging them to be close to God and to be built up in their faith, because as he says in that passage, they have the oversight over those whom Christ has purchased with his own blood. What a charge that is to care for those purchased by the precious blood of Christ. And he commends these men to God 
to the word of his grace so they would be built up for that task, caring for the flock of God, because it is a spiritually important labor. There's this building up, and we see here that it is a spiritual work in the life of every believer, first of all. There's this edification, this building up to be like the Savior. If we turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, we see here that there was a dispute within the church of Corinth. And Paul, in verse 9, says, We are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. We all work together under God. God's husbandry, God's planting, God's vineyard, the growth that belongs to God. And you're God's building, that building that God is erecting, that God is setting forth and setting apart for himself. Dear believer, we should desire this work of husbandry within our lives, this work of building within our lives. And therefore, how we approach preaching is vital because this is a spiritual work, because it is a spiritually important labor, and because it is a spiritual work. What does Satan try to do? He tries to destroy it. One of the old Puritans said, as a highwayman, as highwaymen watch the honest countryman as he cometh forth from the fur, where he has sold his cattle and filled his purse, and then set upon him and rob him, so do the curs of the world dog the honest Christian as he cometh from the word where he go. So in other words, what the Puritan is saying is that as the man who has made money is set upon by the robber, so the child of God who has made money in the spiritual sense, has received that blessing from the Word, has been filled by the Word, has been blessed by the Word of God. As he comes from that Word, Satan, like the robber, seeks to fall upon him. George Swinnick, the great Puritan, said, When the Christian hath made a good meal, then the devil trieth all his wiles and tricks to make him vomit it up again. to hinder the effect of the preaching of the Word of God. Therefore, we must take care. We must pray. We must be diligent. We must guard our hearts because it is a spiritually important labor. We must pray. Pray that as the Word is planted, the Lord would give the increase. Pray the Lord would teach us to keep His law, to observe it. We are to act upon it, not merely to hear the Word, but to be doers of it. George Swinnick said, He that heareth a sermon best practiceth it the most. If preaching is a divine privilege, if it is purpose for our souls, if it is of a spiritual benefit, we must practice it. By the Spirit of God, that it would bring forth abundant fruit in our lives, that it would help us to avoid sin. That we'd be on our guard lest Satan tries to make the Word of God void to us. It's a spiritually important labor for every one of us. It's a spiritually important labor for the preacher of the Word of God. Paul is speaking of his labor. He strives according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. He endured that great struggle because of his love for Christ and his love for the people of God to build them up in their faith that God would bless them and God would use them. He prays to the—he requests prayer by the, to the Thessalonians and says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you. So not only, dear believers, should we pray for God's word in our own lives, and this being an important spiritual labor, but we should pray for the word of God as it is preached, because it is a spiritual important labor that Satan seeks to destroy and hinder. May we pray for the preacher. May we pray for ourselves that God's Word would be that blessing to us. May we all be able to say, as Paul said to Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept my faith. I have kept the faith. May the Lord grant us strength to do so. To do so. 
It's a spiritually important labor that points us to Christ. And then finally, I want you to see, just very quickly, preaching is an eternally vital act. It is an eternally vital act. Going back to verse 28, Paul says, whom we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. It's an eternally vital act. Why do men have to be warned? Because of sin. And what is sin? Rebellion against the commandments of God. What does sin do to man? Sin destroys man spiritually and eternally. And how can all that be changed? Through Christ. The Christ who was preached. What did Paul say? He preached Christ crucified. He preached the gospel of Christ. And therefore we see that through Christ and the preaching of Christ crucified, that great act of preaching has suddenly become the most important act that a man can do and a man can receive because it has an eternal value. I could give you one billion dollars with no strings attached. I don't think I can give you one billion dollars. My bank account doesn't reach that much. But if I could give you one billion dollars, you might have to do with ten dollars, but let's say one billion dollars. What benefit has it for you after you die? What benefit? It may help bury you. It may help your family in various needs they may have. But it has no lasting benefit. You can't take that money and go to the real estate agent and purchase a waterfront mansion in heaven. It doesn't work that way. That money is temporal. That money will one day be burned up. Fame also is a temporal thing. Power here on earth is also a temporal limited thing. But the gospel of Christ has an eternal value, and therefore preaching has an eternal value. It may be despised, but there is a value deep within it that if you miss out on preaching, you miss out on hearing the message, you miss out on believing that message. What hope is there? What hope is there? It is an eternally vital work. Dear unsaved person this evening, what do you think of the preaching of Christ? What do you think of Christ? Paul says, whom we preach, warning every man. The great purpose of that, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. The preaching of the gospel warns you to flee from sin to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. How blessed that is. What a great privilege that is. And it has that eternal value to your soul. It emphasizes that. If you ignore preaching, if you ignore the message of preaching, if you ignore the Christ of the gospel, the Christ who was preached, what other way is there to salvation, to heaven? There is none. There is none. The apostle says, if we turn back to 1 Corinthians 1, we preach Christ crucified. Verse 18, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. It's foolishness in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God, in the eyes of his people, it is a wonderful thing. Oh, that you would see the wonder of preaching. You would see the wonder of Christ. The Christ who is presented as that Savior for you. Oh, that you would turn from sin. You would look to Christ. You would believe Him. You would listen to the warnings of the Apostle Paul. You would listen uh, to what God says regarding what preaching is. You would understand preaching. That it is of great benefit to you for spiritual and eternal value. May you turn from sin this evening. May you look to the Savior. May you believe in Him. May you know His great salvation. Amen. And let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank Thee for Thy Word this evening. We thank Thee that we can consider something of preaching. 
And Father, we thank Thee that we do not stand here because man invented this means, but we stand here because Thou hast ordained preachers, Thou hast called preachers, Thou hast ordained this work for the spread of Thy gospel. Father, we pray this evening that Thou would be pleased to enable us to have that fresh view of preaching, to appreciate preaching, to esteem preaching, to realize what preaching is and what preaching ought to be, to prepare ourselves to hear thy word. Father, we pray that thou would be pleased to bless the preaching here in this place to the honor and glory of thy name, the preaching that takes place across this land, sound preaching, faithful preaching. Father, bless it to the honor and glory of thy name. And when we have preaching that is not the primary concern of the gathering of God's people, where we have preaching that is relegated to just a few minutes, preaching that is set aside for other things, Father, we pray that thou would convict. We pray, O God, that across this land there would be that revival of the primacy of preaching. Men would realize that it is through the declaration of God's truth that men are saved, men are made wise unto salvation, that thy word is taught to thy people. We pray, O God, that thou would be pleased to raise up preachers afresh, men of God ordained by thee to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Father, may we pray for such. May we pray for thy blessing upon the preaching that we hear, upon the preaching across this land, for the honor and glory of thy name. Father, we pray that thou would be pleased to part us with thy blessing. May the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the communion of God, the Holy Spirit, rest, remain, and abide with us throughout this week and forevermore. Amen.